Song of Solomon chapter 2, there are some handouts at the back, on the back pew back there. If you want one to fill in the blank, that's entirely up to you. Pretty simple um, and straightforward. As I was, I was reminded again as I was working on another passage of Song of Solomon just how, how far over my head I am in dealing with this book. Let's pray. And then we're just going to kind of work our way through our, our portion this evening, which if you have a copy of the outline, you can see what it is. Chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 5, a fairly, <clears throat> a fairly short section. Let's pray. Father, again, as this is true always, Lord, that we need your help. These are your words. They are written to us and for us. And... <clears throat> Our need for spiritual discernment and understanding is great, and so we ask for it. We, we pray your help to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, once again, just by way of reminder, we're, my goal is that we just primarily work through the Song of Solomon as a piece of poetry. It is, of course, Hebrew poetry, and so it doesn't fit any kind of pattern of poetry that we are familiar with, and we've not spent a lot of time talking about that. I've spent some time talking about the, men, the multitude of interpretive challenges that we face, and periodically we'll just pause and talk about some of those things. They are inescapable, but again, my, my primary objective for us is to just publicly walk through it <clears throat> and so that we are looking at it as a piece of poetry. And of course, that is how you read it when you read it devotionally. Um, uh, I'm following a pattern that is not uh, original to me, um, <clears throat> but of all the things that I came across, I thought that it was workable and fairly accurate. It is not without its problems, but we will look at the Song of Solomon in a series of cycles. We know that it is a collection of poems. We know that it is a collection of love poems. Um, <clears throat> What to do with that poetry is, of course, the great challenge. Is it about God and Israel? Is it about God and the church? Is it about a man and a woman? Um, you know, those are, those are some of the things. And, and at the very end, we will try and come to some sense of how to think about it. <clears throat> this evening, in the short passage that we have, chapter 2, verses two, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 5, there are actually two cycles and so that is just how we will divide it up. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 17 are one cycle. And, and we've know, you'll note that there are the, the five elements. We're going to follow that format all the way through, that they are not together. They, they desire to be together. There is an impediment to their being together. They come together. 
and then there is a transitional comment or portion that moves us into the next cycle. So in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the lovers are not together. The lovers are not together. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. And and it's pretty easy to note here, folks, that at this point in time, it is the female voice that is singing or that is speaking or singing. I've mentioned to you one, at least one commentator deals with it not only as a poem, but as a song. And he assigns the parts as the soprano and the tenor. Um, But this is the female speaking. Sometimes it'll be a little more cloudy. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, not in this passage, but the passage I was working on this morning or this afternoon, there, there's a lot of <clears throat> back and forth about who's actually speaking in some of the portion. And sometimes we have to rely upon the gender of the noun <clears throat> uh, to tell us who's speaking, which doesn't always come across in English because we don't always use that way in any event. <clears throat> okay, so who is speaking? The female. The question is, and one of the questions in verse number eight is, to who is she speaking? Who is she talking to? And, 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 and I would understand it to be throughout, whenever there is an audience portion, that this, these are the, the group of people identified as the daughters of Jerusalem. So that here she is, right? Because what we have are sometimes the lovers talking to each other, and sometimes we have the lovers talking about each other, and we want to make sure that we note that um, in the poetry. And as always, folks, are one of the things that I'm trying to do is, first of all, as we read the poem, just let the poet's images speak for themselves before we try to dissect any euphemism or allegory or typology to them. Let's just note the way they talk. Their perspective, folks, is obviously very agricultural. I mean, both parties, the boy and the girl, speak glowingly of their partner using animal imagery. It is an agricultural perspective. It is an agricultural world. They're, they're not trying to be funny. I mean, again, and you know, when we laugh about this, but right, we do not, we do not generally use animal imagery of people in a flattering way. We don't, when we call people dogs and cows, uh, we are not being kind to them. But these are agricultural people, and there's an agricultural perspective. And the, the poem is not um, a litany of sarcasm and of uh, snarky comments. So, <clears throat> right? He come leapeth upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. He's like a young deer, full of energy, boundless. I mean, again, these are flattering images, glowing language of description, both the boy about the girl and the girl about the boy. And he is looking forth at the window. He is outside. They are not physically hand in hand with each other. And yet, verses 10 through 14, they desire to be together. 
there's always, folks, in every one of these cycles, there is a sense of an imposed but not voluntary separation. We would like to be together, but there is an impediment to our being together. So verse number 10, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of the birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. So there is a desire expressed to be together. And and again, it is the female voice that is doing the speaking. But what she is doing is quoting him in verses 10 through 13. Right, my, verse number 10, my beloved spake and said, <clears throat> this is what, and, and please, I, I don't, this, this is what my boyfriend said. This is what my boyfriend said to me. He said, rise up and come away with me. And then you have all of this springtime imagery. Everything is in bloom. The winter is past. And, and Israel tends to be not so much snowy, but rainy <clears throat> in the winter season. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. <clears throat> the flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing birds has come, and the voice of the turtle has come, or the, the turtle dove. <clears throat> so this is language expressing the beauty of spring. It is time for us to go out to go. Verses 14 and 15 then are either her quoting him, continuing to quote him, or her reaction to his words in verses 10 through 13. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. I want to see your, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have read verse 15, verse 14. I want to see your face and I want to hear your voice. And again, folks, one of the, right, one of the things that we want to do is just as we're becoming familiar with the poem itself is, is note what is being expressed in the poetical language. It is, I mean, and again, and I'm not just going to stand up here week after week and bash some kind of allegory, but if you wrote a love poem to your girlfriend, and Solomon probably wrote this, and he probably wrote it when he was young, because young men tend to be the ones who write love poems, or young girls write love poems. Right? He is using poetic language to describe the depth of his emotion and his attraction. That is what is going on in the poem. I I mean, there is on the one hand just a very simple dimension to the Song of Solomon. 
A boy is very interested in a girl and he finds her attractive and he's telling her that. She reciprocates. I find you very attractive. There is an obstacle to their relationship. They come together. These are the cycles to the poem. And again, let's, I'm not saying that you're not, but my objective is just for us to walk through the poem. So we're looking for the expressions of love. We're looking for the smells that they discuss and the sights that they see. And we're just going to try and rein ourselves back and see it as it is in its native state, a love poem. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. That's what they say. Whoever is speaking in verse number 14, I want to hear your voice. It's a beautiful voice. And I want to see your face. Your countenance is comely. And yet there is an obstacle, and the obstacle is discussed in verse number 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. The word take means to grasp or to grab. Grab the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. There is some impediment. There is a danger being addressed. There is something that is not that that in some way, and again, we're dealing with poetry, and so part of our disadvantage is we never know exactly how literally to take these things, but there is a threat to our relationship. In this case, it is the little fox that spoils the vines. And uh, again, I just want to mention this so that you have some kind of sense of it. One of the ways those who want to allegorize the Song of Solomon understand that is that verse number 15 is describing the effect of the aging process on a relationship. And if you go, where is that in verse number 15? Don't know. Don't know where that is in verse number 15, but somebody found it there. That it is about growing old together. And then finally there is union. Finally there is union. 16 and 17. My beloved is mine, and I am his, he feedeth among the lilies until the day break and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. There is a union. We belong to each other. And again, folks, you'll note the agricultural imagery there. I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. He's not an animal. Right? This and, and I'm being a little facetious, but this is not somebody talking about how much they love one of their animals. But we're going to find that kind of language used several times in the poem. That somebody is eating in the garden. Somebody is feeding in some sort of pasture. But there is the union. My beloved is mine. I am his. He feeds among the lilies. Till the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. And this is kind of where the, this cycle began in verse number 9. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. 
And again, youth, energetic, healthy, filled with life, filled with exuberance. And verse number 17 then is the transition. Right? We've, we've closed a section and we're going to move into another cycle until the dawn breaks, turn, turn around, and be like the roe, be like the deer in the mountains. So that is one cycle in the, in the passage following that pattern. And that brings us to chapter 3 and verse number 1. <clears throat> And verses 1 through 5 then constitute the second, the second sequence and technically the third cycle of information in the book. The lovers then are not together, chapter 3 and verse number 1. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. And I just want to stop here because here is another one of those things that is much discussed and controversial. Is she describing a dream? Or is she describing something that is going on in her mind? By night on my bed I sought him. Many commentators, and I would not be unsympathetic to this, believe that this is a dream sequence and that there are actually two dream sequences. Chapter 5 and verse number 2 mentions the other dream sequence. But then there are those, and somebody as notable as John MacArthur points out that if chapter 5, verse number 2 is describing a dream, then the whole book must be a dream. But I don't know that that's a requirement. This is just this cycle of the poetry. So by night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. So again, one of the things, even though we're reading a poem, that we, that we need to try and think through is whether somebody is describing what is going on in their head or whether somebody is describing something that is actually happening. But the language in 3.1 lends itself to, at the very minimum, being something that somebody is doing only in their minds. And I don't, I don't, mean, a, I don't mean an unreal fantasy, but they are fantasizing about this. On, as I lay on my bed, I'm thinking about pursuing you. It is the female who is speaking, and in fact, folks, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it is only the female that speaks. <clears throat> the male has no voice in this cycle of the poem. And yet, they des she desires to be with him. She is not with him, chapter 3, verse 1, but she wants to be with him, chapter 3, verse 2. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. So I'm laying in my bed, and I'm thinking about him, and I want him, and I decide to go after him. But I could not find him. But I could not find him. And here is one of those... <clears throat> Rare in the Song of Solomon, geographical notations where we move from the, from the country to the city. And again, folks, I mean, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that the meaning of the song belongs to us individually as we read it, but I do not feel confident enough to speak 
you know, authoritatively to this, how to do this. But she is talking here about the city. I will go into the city in the streets and in the broad ways will I seek him. <clears throat> and that brings us then to the impediment or the obstacle, which is verse chapter one, chapter three, verse one, two, which we have read, and verse number three. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. So they are not together, but she desires to be with him, and yet she cannot find him when she looks for him. And when the policemen, right, the watchmen that go about the city found me, what are you doing out? I said, I'm looking for my beloved. I'm looking for my beloved. That's what I'm doing. I am pursuing him. And I am looking for him. And then there is fourth part of the cycle, the union. She finds him, chapter 3 and verse number 4. It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chambers of her that conceived me. So shortly after, <clears throat> I got up off of my bed and I went looking for the one that my soul loved and I could not find him and I talked with the police about what I was doing. I found him and I held him, and I would not let him go. And I took him not only to my mother's house, but into her bedroom. I took her into, I took her into my mother's bedroom. And again, folks, and I'm just kind of previewing some of the things that we're going to, to discuss. <clears throat> there are just multitudes of commentators who find very, very heavy sexual innuendo in so many parts of Song of Solomon. I personally am not certain that they all should have been found, but they are there. So what, what do we make then of chapter 3 and verse number 4? I brought him to my mother's house, into the chamber, into the room of her that conceived me, into my mother's bedroom. And then that brings us to the transition and to the, to the end of <clears throat> our portion this evening. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. And I would point out one more time, folks, if you're looking at your King James Bible, that the word my there has been added by the translators. And the fact that it has been added by the translators means that they are understanding it to be that her beloved has gone into the bedroom and is asleep. And that is a completely rational <clears throat> and acceptable translation. Right? I'm not finding fault with the way our translators have dealt with it. But I just want you to be aware, and I, don't, I didn't look, I don't remember how the ESV translates it, whether it trans, but I think the ESV doesn't include the my, and just talks about wakening love, which then becomes used when you deal with the book on the boy-girl level of relationships to not let things get too far advanced too quickly. That's almost always the way that that verse is handled. But there's the transition. Right? And by night on my bed, I sought him. 
I was not with him. I wanted him. This cycle, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, is probably the easiest cycle to see clearly because it just kind of walks you through it. I'm not with him, but I really want to be with him. There's an obstacle to being found, but I find him, and now we are gone on to a thing. So this is the close, then, of the third cycle of not together, desiring to be together, an impediment to their being together, and finally they come together. So with that... <clears throat> That will, that will conclude, and next week we will begin with chapter 3 and verse number 6. Is there any-